Welcome to the Cap Gemini America's Corporate Social Responsibility Podcast. My name is Janet Pope, and I'm the Vice President of Corporate Social Responsibility for the U.S., Canada, and Latin America. I look forward to engaging with each of you on diversity, digital inclusion, and sustainability challenges and initiatives. Let's get the future we want together. This is the Oceans Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Capgemini employee resource group named OCEAN. OCEAN stands for the Organized Carbon and Environment Action Network, and our vision is to develop a culture in which sustainability is rooted in who we are and what we do, both professionally and personally. Our mission is to enable Capgemini employees to learn, engage, and take action by providing access to sustainability resources, education, and other opportunities for anyone passionate about saving the planet. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of The Oceans Podcast. All right, thank you guys for tuning into this episode of the oceans podcast i have uh, with me caitlin casey and tayaba and we'll be talking a little bit about sustainable cooking today um for you three before we even get started on that topic let me just get a quick introduction of what you do at cap gemini and how long you've been with us as well yes yeah, so i can go ahead and go first i'm caitlin clark i've been with cap gemini for about two years I'm the communications lead for Ocean, and I work in the GXP compliance field. GXP stands for Good X Practices, where the X can stand for a variety of subjects, such as manufacturing, pharmacy, documentation, and so on. In my role, I provide compliance and governance for GXP regulatory standards to ensure service management for the client meets FDA and EU regulatory requirements. This supports the client's initiatives to migrate their infrastructure to a cloud environment managed by Capgemini and transferring the GXP qualification under Capgemini's management. I have a special interest in personal sustainability, applying it to my life and sharing that knowledge with others. Perfect. Yeah, hi, I'm Casey Blue. I'm with Cloud and Custom Applications at Capgemini along with Tayaba. Um, I've been here for the past six months, and I've really tried to put my foot in towards sustainability. Thank you, Casey. And Tayaba. Hi, I'm Tayaba Sadek. I'm with Casey Blue out of the Columbia ATD uh, Advanced Technology Development Center. I'm with Cloud and Custom Applications as well. And my sustainability passion is around the fashion industry. I learned to sew so that I could refashion, and now I'm very curious. Nice. That's exciting. You know, I always love to have that question at the start, just to see that we're all doing our day jobs and also having some sustainable background work on the side. So it's really cool to see that. Uh, so, yeah, we're talking about a little bit of sustainable cooking today. Um, so what is that? What, if I looked that up, what would be the definition of sustainable cooking? 
That's a great question. I think sustainable cooking can be taken a lot of different ways just because we all come from different walks of life. So to me, sustainable cooking is simply trying your best. It's about educating yourself, planning meals, trying to shop locally and or in season, buying your groceries in bulk. It's about doing your best to do all of those things. Because like I said, we all have restrictions in our day-to-day life. Some of us have kids, some of us work 12 plus hour days. So it's just trying your best. And Casey, I was curious, what were you gonna say? What does sustainable cooking mean to you? Well, I was gonna give a little bit more of a textbook definition of (laughs) it. Um, Sustainable cooking is relatively just putting a focus on your personal food choices or food habits that either positively affect your health or positively affect the environment, uh, either by just like trying to offset carbon emissions or just trying to eat healthier. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. I think in my own little background, I've, I've for the past year, I did end up growing some some food for the very first time for myself. And I feel like that is the very first step of trying to be a sustainable cooker, I'd say. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think you two also have been doing some farming in the past, too. What, what are some tips and tricks of just like plant caring as well? I would say experience experimenting is where you start. I think for me, I grew up on a farm, but with my own personal um, sustainable cooking journey, you know, it started with growing spices and herbs in the kitchen. And you learn not to overwater your plants and not Mm -hmm. to not water your plants enough. So it's, it's all about experimenting and trying to fit little niche aspects of sustainability into your kitchen. Right. I would say another thing that really is a plant tip is learning what plants really benefit each other like Mm -hmm. cosmo growing flowers you never would think would help you grow tomatoes uh cosmos flowers when grown next to tomatoes are actually bug deterrents so you'd have Mm. a better crop in the end ah yeah i would have never thought it seems like there is a lot of uh like there's a lot of books on this that I would have to read up on to know what types of plants to plant together and and just how to get your garden set up the way that you want to get the most benefits from all your crops. It is. There's a lot of knowledge out there when it comes to companion plants, and I myself, I'm still <laughs> yeah. learning about that. <laughs> and looking at the whole lifestyle or life cycle of the plant, um, and you may touch on this a little bit later, but bringing composting into your sustainable cooking, knowing what to do with your with um, your food scraps can actually take those nutrients and put them back into the soil um, that, that you are growing your own vegetables from. Yeah, bouncing off that, a lot of people think weeds are detrimental to your garden, but in reality, if having a bit of weed, like weeds on the outside, you can you can harvest those and use them as green waste as a compost uh, addition for fertilizing your plants. Really? I would have never thought weeds are good for the garden. They're actually uh... very good for (laughs) anything that would typically grow in like a forest. Like Mm -hmm. say you have an apple tree, Uh, your apple tree actually needs some protectants at the bottom. 
Yeah, similar to a forest, I think with your trees, it's good to add um, just branches, logs, leaves, or mulch of some kind. And it mm -hmm. helps protect the soil, helps protect the roots. But intuitively, when we're setting up our gardens, I don't think we think to do that. You know, you you just want to have your, your grass there or just plain mm -hmm. dirt. So that's a really good tip, Casey. Nice. And even with, um, okay, that's a little bit about... Uh, caring for your plants and one thing I do need to do better with is the uh, the composting part of it I just started composting and I didn't know don't know what to do with the scraps yet so you guys are giving me some good insight already <laughs> but even even after getting all your so say you you finished all that and you're getting your your crops you're getting some some things to to cook with uh, what would you say some of the like the the best dieting or nutritional meals that you can come up with from what you you plant i would say like mm -hmm. dieting is a personal preference in the end but there are small things you could change about your current diet that you currently use that would make it look more sustainable as in like limiting the amount of meats you use in each meal or having a heavier focus on grains as really following what like whole foods you can use. <laughs> Absolutely. I second that. I think um, really trying to incorporate whole foods in your diet and trying to cut out processed foods or cut out the middleman, so to speak, overall right. tends to result in a more sustainable diet. Right. And kind of bouncing off of that, um, there's been like a new term coin, uh, coined recently called a flexitarian. Um, in more mm -hmm. simple terms, that's a semi-vegetarian. And like I said, the goal is to reduce the amount of meat you use. And say for dieting reasons, not all dieting is to lose weight. It might just be to be healthier. Mm -hmm. um, eating more plant-based alternatives have been seen to like help with heart disease or diabetes or stomach health. So changing like something about how much you do in each meal might help you in the long run. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is called flexitarian. So it's this. So as a vegetarian, you're cutting out all meats, just eating your, your leafy greens. But with the flexitarian diet, you're still kind of eating select few meats. Is that kind of what it is? So it's more like you take like. Say Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I won't have any meats in my meal. Or maybe every day at lunch, I won't use a red meat in my meal. So it's just picking and choosing where you want those proteins to lie in your week or in right. your diet. I see. Okay. Selectively choosing when to have those, those red meats. And that, yeah, that can be helpful for sure. So I know with um, I think my only thing with a uh, a diet is that it's sometimes hard to find meals that are just the same as the I guess the unhealthy or unsustainable uh, uh, rival I'd say. And so with this flexitarian, I think you can kind of still get that meal that you want, but still kind of helping with the environment as well. I guess that kind of helps. You can still. Go in on those urges, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I found an interesting stat here. 
if everyone went vegetarian for just one day, the U.S. would save up to 100 billion gallons of water and we would reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 1.2 million tons of carbon dioxide. So I think even just picking one day a week for the flexitarian diet, it helps. It makes a significant difference. Nice. I love when stats are backed up by numbers. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> And that actually brings us to another question. I know there's uh, a lot of stats. I know I think that was a global stat, right? I know there's also stats with just the, the, the Americas, and then you have other countries out there that have their own stats around uh, sustainable cooking and, and dieting and things like that. So is there any, any pointers that we can give or take away from other countries that's doing things better or worse or... Anything that we can learn from our our neighbors? Well, besides just like what we have approved in our foods or what we have in our like traditional diets, I would say an Indian diet is very fiber based compared to an American diet. Um, A lot of the differences come in from what we were raised to eat and what Mm -hmm. we have around us. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I know um it does depend on where you're growing up and what you eat a lot of. I know rice is very heavy in a lot of cultures and and you got corn and things like that is also pretty heavy. But I wonder if it's also it seems like it's growing a lot. I wonder if it's also sustainable too. Especially if you're growing it yourself. And it makes me think maybe sustainable eating looks different in different parts of the world based on what crops and foods are readily available to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. To, just to piggyback off uh, what you might have mentioned a little earlier, Caitlin, I think using, uh, and you even mentioned seasonal, so eating seasonally is actually healthy. It's actually good for the environment, too, because of the the because the food is is um hasn't traveled as much it hasn't been preserved as long a lot of times um and when things are grown out of season it actually takes a lot more resources to grow them a lot of times uh farmers have to grow uh, a much larger quantity of food just to be able to get the 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 kind of food that will be acceptable in a supermarket so off season that's a little bit harder to do in season you're actually going to get much more delicious food as well as um, have have to grow less of it to be able to make it make it to the market. Talking off of Teaba, I feel like a little known fact a lot of people don't know is sometimes your frozen veggies are a lot more nutritious than say canned veggies um, because when they're frozen and put into stock, they will end up being frozen from harvest and don't have as much leeway time to degrade that's a new Mm. fact i learned today that's awesome (laughs) that's interesting (laughs) (laughs) gotta love all these facts especially you know growing things or eating things in season that's definitely helpful um canned versus frozen that is a new one for me too these are all great facts is there I guess, is there anything else that we should know about sustainable cooking and, and planting, harvesting, anything of the nature for how to source food in a sustainable manner? 
I would say I would... it's all around you in the end. Um, maybe taking time to look at a local butcher or a local produce stand. Um, these all options are either giving back to your local community or helping you in your health. And when it comes to sustainable cooking, there's an a after process of it too. Um, like taking what's left and putting it back into, say, your garden with decomp. Absolutely. And to reiterate what you said, I think um, seasonal shopping, finding local butchers, local farmers markets, refill stations where you can go and fill up flour with your own containers and not have to buy store packaging. Doing those things um, really help to contribute to sustainable cooking. And again, the after the after effects, the composting, gardening, um, there's three different types of composting. So if, if you're interested in composting your own fruits and vegetables, just look into anaerobic uh, or vermicomposting. I personally vermicompost myself. That's with worms and the worms take mm -hmm. care of everything for me. <laughs> and it's nice. You can add it to your plants and your plants benefit from that. Nice. And Caitlin, you you told us something about using the scraps for stock. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yes, absolutely. So whenever I use my vegetables, I keep all of my vegetable peels, my onion skins, and I put them in a bucket in the freezer. And when this bucket gets full, I add it to a pot, cover them with water, and let it simmer for a few hours until it starts to smell really nice and rich. And then I strain out those vegetable scraps and put them in my compost. So I get one last use for them before putting them in my compost and it results in a delicious vegetable stock that tastes different depending on what season it is. In the fall, it has like squash, hints of squash. In the spring, it can have like hints of onions. So it's a really wonderful tip and trick. No, my mouth is watering. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I'll be stealing that idea from you. <laughs> Please do. Please do. <laughs> that reminds me, Casey has a tip on how to reuse bread. Oh, yeah. So I, you know, bread kind of goes stale pretty quick. Um, there's a place, a re recipe called egg bread or egg cake. And what you do is you rip all of the end pieces or bread that has started to go bad, or not bad per se, but stale. And you mix them in with like two, three eggs and add any like uh, breakfast properties like bacon, sausage, or even uh, bell peppers. It Anything in the kitchen sink, really. <laughs> in you bake this for a little, uh, I'd have to get you the actual measurements, but after baking this, it turns into almost like a meatloaf for breakfast. Mm. And I'm, I'm the biggest fan of breakfast food. So when you told me about <laughs> that, I just had to try it. And you, um, I put it in little muffin pans. It tasted so good, like little mini muffin <laughs> breakfast meatloafs. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to see that recipe. I kind of don't understand it. So you take your bread and you you mix it with eggs and you throw in other ingredients, you say like bacon and anything like that, and then you bake it and then it becomes a like a little meatloaf. Yeah, so kind of like the same logic with scrambled eggs, where it increases in volume, it mm -hmm. ends up making a very quiche base 
for ah, okay. It, you would have it in like a pie tin or not pie tin, a pie tin or a bread loaf tin or even a brownie one. Okay, yeah, it's making sense to me now. Okay, <laughs> I can do that. That sounds good. <laughs> it's good, and the best part is it's easy. <laughs> I'm all yeah. about trying to save time in the morning, so. <laughs> <laughs> And now we're going all around. I wonder if uh, Tayaba has any um, recipes out there for us to try, too. Well, this is actually a great plug for uh, our sustainability cookbook that's coming out soon, which uh, we'll hope to include seasonal uh, seasonal recipes in there. We'll include recipes that are um, no-cook recipes, too. So something simple that, that is sustainable is like overnight oats, where you don't even have to cook them. You mix in your oats with whatever. Nice. I think you might have cut that out the end there. But yeah, we will be keeping an eye out for the uh, the Ocean's Sustainability Cookbook. I cannot wait for that to be released. I know it's in the working right now, and it's going to be amazing. I've already seen a few of the recipes out there, so they're going to be delicious and sustainable. And we have tried all of these recipes personally, so I can advocate that these recipes are very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we might be good with this episode. Is there any final thoughts on sustainable cooking before I let you guys go? No final thoughts here, but I just wanted to say um, thank you on behalf of all of us for having us on this podcast episode. It's been really wonderful to talk about sustainable cooking and just such a pleasant conversation. Thank you so much. I'm Damon Ambers, and you've been listening to the Oceans Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find more on our SoundCloud page at www.soundcloud.com slash NACR underscore radio. And for our final message, I'd like to hand it over to Janet Pope. It looks like we've come to the end of another Cap Gemini America's Corporate Social Responsibility Podcast. Again, I'm Janet Pope, and on behalf of the entire America's Corporate Social Responsibility team, I'd like to thank you for listening. If you have a specific topic on diversity, equity, and inclusion, sustainability, or digital inclusion that you'd like us to cover on a future podcast, please comment in the podcast channel. We'd love to hear from you.